This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Appreciate you tuning in today. We're beginning a new series that's going to be 13 parts called The People of God. And it's about understanding how that phrase is used in Scripture and how God identifies His people who truly are His possession and can look forward to all the blessings that He will provide in this life and in eternity. And Genesis chapter 1 is where we'll begin. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In one sense, when we read that text, we can see that all people, all humans, are, in a way, the people of God, because they were created in His image, and created with a high and noble purpose bestowed upon them by God to be uh, rulers of his creation. And the psalmist marveled at this culminating work of the creator. Remember, man was the last thing, the last part of God's creation to enter into his universe. And the psalmist marveled at this culminating work and, and said, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? and the Son of Man, that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. And so there is a very privileged position that God intended for man to have amongst his creation, being made in his image, being made with a will and a personality and an intelligence and a capacity to create and to love and so on and so forth. So all of that, however, sadly is is a concept of man that is denied by many of today's people. Um, modern people, not just in academia, but all over the place, I think folks who have been uh, trained by those in, in colleges and, and by the popular thinking in the world, they reject any notion of a divine creator and they accept a world that exists by unprovable and incomprehensible chance uh, they believe everything, including you and me and, and the earth that we live on and, and all of space and time, it came from nothing. They believe all that something came from nothing. And so in that doctrine and in that philosophy, they believe man is at best evolved from simple inorganic substance. And we just have a brief purposeless life on this on this globe and we die without hope. And then our biodegradable remains re-enter the cycle that goes nowhere. And it's just, uh, it's it's futility. And they accept that as truth and reality. And it's, and it's a futility that's enough to come in to search for something better. But often our pride and our unwillingness to acknowledge anything higher than ourselves leaves us groping in the darkness and refusing the light that is available, the light and knowledge that comes through Scripture, as we read in Genesis 1, that reveals God's intentions and His purpose for His people, for mankind, and what He 
desired for us to be and to have in the beginning. But the charge from many folks in the world of the atheist persuasion or materialist persuasion is that uh, folks like me just, quote, blindly trust in a, quote, unproven God. Uh, well, biblically, I, I I don't think that's defensible. Um, faith in the Bible cannot be blind, and God is certainly not unproven. He's provided evidence all around us, and he has revealed himself in his word. And the true God, by his very nature, would not be subject to my test tubes. He would have to be self-revealed. He's beyond, he's infinite, I'm finite, he's beyond what I can imagine completely, but he has revealed himself and has chosen to reveal himself in a way that I can understand. He's more than a hypothesis. He is, he manifested himself in a, in a historic person, Jesus of Nazareth, whom he described as the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible reveals that Jesus Christ is the culmination of divine revelation. The Hebrew writer says that God in these last days has spoken to us in his dear son. And so this study is was written by someone and we're going to go through it you know I, as I broadcast it I you know I believe in this God of the Bible. I believe in his Holy Spirit and Emmanuel or God with us who is seen in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so believing in an internal, intelligent, in an eternal, intelligent creator, I believe that that he acted with purpose, that none of this that we see and observe all around us is an accident. He had a reason for creation, something more than a sudden whim or an impulse. And, you know, there are likely unrevealed purposes of God that we can't pursue. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that there are hidden things that belong to God, but the revealed things belong to man. So there is revelation available that is relating him and his purpose directly to us. And that should be my chief concern. Not all the things that are mysteries, certainly there's a lot of them. And and that this is in no way to to knock scientific investigation by by any means, but when it comes to uh, metaphysical things, things of God, spiritual things, there are some aspects of that uh, of Him and uh, His designs that He chose not to reveal, and others that He has. And the point is, is that what He has revealed in the Bible uh, that should be our focus, whatever His purpose may be. We believe man's greatest good can be realized in achieving that end. In God's word and in, and in this study that we're going to undergo, those who through God's grace seek to satisfy his divine purpose are called the people of God in a very special sense. And one of those places where we can see the special sense uh, that I just mentioned used is in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you want to go there, I think that this is a good text to begin with uh, as we introduce this study because this is one example where we see people of God used in a, a peculiar and a particular sense, not just of mankind generally, and you know, in that sense that we saw in Genesis chapter one, but in a very special way. First Peter chapter two, verse nine, beginning, it says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, 
but now you are the people of God. And you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Uh, So Peter is clearly contrasting who he is calling the people of God with everybody else in in the world. And so it's it's that special significance that we want to nail down and that we want to try and understand and see if we can discern biblically who is it that makes up this special group. And I want to talk now about uh, God's purpose for his creatures because I think that's part of the answer biblically to the question, who are God's people? Um, well, it's those who are, uh, according to Scripture, trying to fulfill the purpose for which God created them. So we saw we saw that at the beginning of Genesis chapter 1, how God said, I want you to have dominion, and I want you to do X, Y, and Z, and, and rule over the earth. And uh, they were, Adam and Eve were to have this special uh, relationship made in the image of God, special relationship with God, and have fellowship with Him. And when we go to Acts chapter 17, in Acts chapter 17, when Paul is in Athens, and so he's come to Athens to preach the gospel and tell the Athenians about Jesus Christ, uh, Athens was a very religious city. There were lots of people there uh, who were interested in spiritual things, who were great God servers, or so they thought. They they built beautiful temples. Uh, they had very fine statuary. I mean, they took it very seriously, and they gave very lavish gifts to these temples and, and the gods that they, they worship. But what they failed to understand, according to Scripture, what they failed to understand is actually what God wanted of his creatures. So when Paul describes the true God to them, in Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and 25, he says, God who made the world... And everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And so Paul is saying that there's something there's something more that God wants. It's not just about the lavish gifts and the statuary and the building of, of temples. There has to be, there's something deeper there. And so Paul is saying that it's absurd to think that the Creator could be appeased with the very material things that he himself created. But instead, what God's desire is among his creatures is for a certain response. He is is looking for a certain response on the part of his creation uh, in men. And so Paul said that God made from one blood every nation of men. And he goes on to say, so that they should seek the Lord and the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us, in verses 26 and 27. So God's inherent sufficiency does not negate his reason for making man. He made man for a purpose, with a purpose, and it wasn't that man would build temples and offer him lavish gifts, but he wanted and desired a certain attitude within his grief. He wanted certain conduct to be sure. And for his purpose and our good, he wants us to seek after him. Those are Paul's words that man may seek after him and find him, though he is not far. God is not far from any one of us. And when we look in in other scriptures, in, in places like Romans 1, we see that man's sinfulness um, is described as it is elsewhere. And we're shown that God um, doesn't tolerate sin and that God is just in condemning all of mankind. And we, we get a glimpse again of God's desire for his creatures from a different 
angle. So there's there, there's to be this kind of proactive uh, seeking and searching, but there is a hang-up here uh, in man's sinfulness and man's refusal to seek and man's refusal to submit. And Paul says that men, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, through 21 he says paul uh, excuse me men could perceive god's eternal power and deity by observing the product of his creation so who he is and what he's capable of what god is capable of he says is perfectly seen in his creation and so as a result everyone is without excuse because although we knew god we did not glorify him as god nor were we thankful in verse 21 and so the flip side of these negatives is god wants us to glorify and give thanks to him and pursue him. He wants a people who worship him and recognize their dependence upon him, not because he is profited uh, by worship or that he gains something from our, our worship. No, he's he is who he is regardless of, you know, if nobody in the world worshiped him or acknowledged him, he would still be glorious. He would still be perfect. He would still be God. But he wants people who worship him for uh, for their good and recogni- and recognition of their dependence upon him and recognition of who he is. Right? In the Genesis record, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness in verse 26 of chapter 1. And so this is not talking about a physical appearance because God is spirit, John four twenty four, and he is without form, Deuteronomy 4, 12 through 19. So being man being made in the image of God has to refer to our spiritual nature. It has to refer to our intellect. It has to refer to our ability to choose our free will and, and having a, a self-consciousness and a personality. That is what makes us distinct from, from animal life, from all other parts of creation. And so uh, we are made in the image of God. And part of that is also having the capacity to love. God is love in first John four, seven through eight. And we are made in his image to have an, an ethical capacity to manifest that specific godlike characteristic to love him and love one another. And God intended that the objects of his love, his, his creation, us, he made us capable of returning love to him and the way that that love demonstrates itself in our lives is in submission to him first john 2 and verse 3 says this by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments and the one who says i have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him but whoever keeps his word in him the love of god has truly been perfected and by this we know that we are in him The one who says he abides in him on himself to walk in the same manner that he walked. And so that is John's way of saying that, again, true love for God manifests itself in submission to his his will and walking the way that he walked as a man. Jesus said the first and great commandment of God is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength in Matthew 22. So again, God wanted his creatures to seek after him and to find him, and to look up to him, and to, to feel deep dependence upon him, and to reciprocate his his love. Right, it goes beyond just going through the motions of a dry and clinical worship, or just showing up to church on Sunday. 
uh, he desires true, meaningful fellowship with his with his creation. But that can only be had on his on his terms. Um, and God's purpose also determines the nature of of man. So God laid down some requirements of of us, and still does in his, in his word. He he demanded creatures. He made creatures in the image of God who could will and act upon a, a self-determined basis. And so in giving us that ability to choose and to be self-determining, uh, he wanted us to freely choose to meet the the criterion he was laying down for fellowship. I know that there are many theologians and very smart people in the world who will tell you that free will on the part of man somehow compromises the sovereignty of God. So they would say, well, if free will is true and you have the ability to choose, then God isn't sovereign. Um, if man can say no to his to his maker, then his maker is not really a God to be worshipped. And so they, the, the point is, is that they want you to believe that God arbitrarily selected from all people those whom he would save and that your thinking and your actions and your conduct have absolutely nothing to do with his decision. And that's usually bound up with an argument about God's sovereignty being violated if we have free will. But the scripture teaches that the sovereignty of God is vindicated in the final and irrevocable judgment that he will make upon all mankind. And Second Corinthians 5.10 teaches, teaches us that final judgment is on an individual basis and that we must, each, we, we must each stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be repaid for the deeds done in the body whether good or, or evil. And so I read that to make this point that no one can reject God or say no to God with impunity, right? Because ultimately he is vindicated. Ultimately his will will be done. And so the argument then that somehow being able to choose or and even being able to say no to God compromises his sovereignty doesn't hold up against biblical scrutiny uh, because his sovereignty is vindicated and that everybody will answer to him in the end. Uh, and so on the other hand, the very nature of God demands nothing less than a moral response to his will. And so this means a people who of their own will say yes instead of no to God, who willingly submit. So unless we are free, the point being unless we are free to say either yes or no, then our love and praise become the words and actions of mere puppets. They're, they're not real. It's not real love. It's not real obedience or submission that has any kind of moral value, right? We're no different different from a washing machine or a car or a computer that just does what it's told mindlessly because it has to. Um, this is the power of choice that people have, and it's also a characteristic of of God that is that is frequently stressed in His scriptures. As we are made in his image, he is a free moral agent. He's no respecter of persons. He treats fairly all those who are made in his his image. Um, and he wants us to do the same. And he empowered us to do the same in giving us a will of our own. Peter said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation he who fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. And Acts 10, verses 34 and 35, when he's speaking with, with Cornelius. And so, with free will and fairly treated without respect a person, man becomes one of God's people in, in a true moral sense of, of the terms, not just because he's a person made by God, but because 
he has willingly submitted to God when he fulfills the chief purpose which God made him for in the first place. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says, Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. And so I propose this very simple idea, this very simple biblical teaching that God gave each of us a free moral self, and then he is asking that we give it back to him. Jesus put it this way, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In Matthew sixteen twenty four. So biblically then, from beginning to end, when God speaks of his people and the people for his own possession, it primarily means in a moral sense, in a, a, a spiritual sense, those who have submitted to his will and truly love him from the heart and are, are striving to submit and pattern their lives after what he has revealed. And so his people... God's people are not racially determined. Uh, they're not simply card-carrying members of a, some party or church somewhere in the world. But what God is looking for is, is, a, is a quality of person, a kind of, a kind of people. And they certainly are not gods, but they have escaped. They're not, you know, they're not infallible. They're not morally perfect people, but they have escaped the corruption that is in the world, as Peter says in 2 Peter 1. And they do that through the provisions God has made for his for his people. I believe that the Bible reveals this plan, reveals God's will. I believe it is inspired literature, uh, and it is the unfolding and traces the unfolding of God's plan for his creatures. That it reveals what his purpose for us is all along, what his promises are for us. Uh, the prophecies that have been that were made in regard to the fulfillment of that plan in the Old Testament, and how He would prepare people for Himself and then perfect them through His Son Jesus Christ. And so, in this in this study and, and subsequent lessons, what I want to do is trace the unfolding of His purpose and plan for His people, and and see how he brought that about and see people that he used as free moral agents and that he held responsible and accountable for their actions, just as he does with, with you and me and see how even despite sin, God was still willing to make a provision for man so that he could be reconciled to him because he knows and teaches us that we have the capacity to trust in him, to have faith in him and his power and ultimately be acceptable to him on his terms. Now make no mistake, he does for us what we can't do for ourselves, but he does it on the condition of obedient and wholehearted faith. God provides the means of escape from sin, the means of reconciliation to him in Jesus Christ, where we can have our sins forgiven and we can become one of his people and seize upon those great promises revealed in the New Testament for an eternal home in heaven with him and with all people who love and submit to him in this life. I look forward to studying with you more and invite you to ask any questions or submit any comments that you have at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com 
or visit our website at leonvalleychurch.org where you can submit a contact form. Make use of any of the resources you find there, please. And again, I hope that you will pray about these things and study them as we move forward. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.